of the Sleeper in the Bus. It's your Thursday edition. I am Paul Spohr. Joined as always on Thursdays by Eno Saris. Eno, good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Are you enjoying some day baseball? All right. Yeah, yeah. Had some interesting yeah. games. Uh, keep, you know, Dodgers dropped a football score. Lackey was sharp. Alaska Pomeranz. Alaska <laughs> Pomeranz was was pretty much what you'd expect it to be. It was a six to five game. So we'll talk about a lot of stuff that's going on. But obviously we're going to get into injuries, uh, talk some other player performances outside of guys just performing today. A little bit of player movement, actually just kind of centering around Arizona specifically. They had a call up and a signing. And then, uh, again, bullpens have been quiet, so not a whole lot to talk about with the bullpens. Finally getting a little bit of quiet time here as bullpens are settling. I'm sure it's going to get crazy again because we're just we're just not going to get a full month of uh, of no bullpen movement as Edinson Volquez walks yet another guy and looks a lot like the old version of Edinson Volquez today. Uh, let's dive into the injury news first, though, you know, and talk about Mr. Coco Crisp returning. Um, we've talked about him in the past as somebody who, you know, always has interesting numbers, uh, but I, maybe we prorate them too much to get excited about him, um, because he's never actually going to play a full season. So even though his full season numbers, uh, might look good, you got to put him down for 120, 130 games max. He's got his first couple games under his belt. What are you doing with the 35-year-old Crisp? Is this someone you're trying to get back in on, or have you finally uh, soured on him and his injuries? You know, I picked him up, actually, in a 12-teamer, even. And the reason I did was because he it was an OBP league, and he has he always has a decent OBP, or he has for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need a little bit of speed, and I think he'll be available all over the outfield as one of those LFCFRF-type leagues. Um, okay. And so I think that that's probably stretching his usefulness. Also, it's a dynasty league where all the prospects are owned on prospect lists. And um, so when you look at the wire, you're like, oh, can't pick up that guy. can't pick up that guy. <laughs> so surprisingly sort of deep kind of 12-team league. That's about the closest I would get. That's about the shallowest I would get for him. Because, yeah, I mean, you could say, well, he's useful when he's in there, but the batting average is probably not really an asset, 250-260. You know, stolen bases age badly, and like you said, you know, 35 years old. And even though he had that little power renaissance uh, at one point, um, I think he's probably... Uh, going to be lucky to get double digits this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the on the power specifically with Chris. But I can still see him, you know, having useful spurts of speed. But um, as we get older, I mean, like I said, the injury history is set in stone. Um, and as we get older, it's certainly not going to get better. I see. I can see him having some nice runs. And the second you start to see him get hot, if you are in a ten teamer and he is sitting out there, go ahead and jump on him and enjoy the hot streak. But if you're planning anything long term around him, uh, you're setting yourself up for disappointment for sure. We talked about this injury when he was coming back, and you expressed some skepticism about investing, and it's proved to be uh, you know a little bit prophetic with Jason Worth. You're worried about the shoulder specifically, and that appears to still be ailing him right now. He hasn't really been himself, uh, and there was a report flying around that uh, that Worth has described his shoulder as cranky and and you know really really still kind of bothering him. He's going to return on Friday uh, after a couple days off, but he's got a 176, 247, 203 line. I doubt your outlook has changed much on Worth because this is more or less what you expected, but what do you recommend folks do with Jason Worth? Is this somebody that you're now cutting in 10 and 12 team mixers? Um, what about like a 15 team mix? Still too good of a, a name to, to drop in something like that. Where, where are you in terms of advising folks on Worth? I can see dropping him in a 10 teamer because, you know, uh, a guy with his strikeout rate, even though his contact rate is really nice, the guy with his strikeout rate most seasons isn't going to hit 290, 300. He did do that for a long stretch. And it's tempting to say he's going to do that. But I'd say, you know, his career batting average is 274. I, I feel much more comfortable putting him around there. So 270 batting average, with double-digit homers, you know, who knows how much he's going to steal. That, I think, is droppable in a 10-teamer. But in a 12-teamer, you know, especially if it's OBP, you know, I I, 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 I think he's just uh, just hard to own right now. I mean, I, I have him in that in the 12-teamer where I picked up Coco Crisp, that, that dynasty team. You know, I'm really glad that I went and got Abacel Garcia. Um, that was a trade we talked oh, yeah. about here on that. 
I remember that. Deal. And and I and I said that was actually when the last time we talked we talked about Worth preseason. I said, well, I'm going to go out and get Abigail Garcia. Here's the deal. And part of the reason I want to do it is because he's an RF and um, he'll play for for me over Worth. So he's playing for me over Worth, and, and he'll continue to, you know, I assume. For what's worth, I still think that the, the power is coming for for Abisail. It's, he's in a nice park. He's done some nice adjustments this year. I think, you know, I think he's. I don't. I don't think much of the shine has come off of Garcia's yet, and um, you know, Worth is sitting on my bench a lot. So I want Crisp to come in and and you know, kind of spell Worth a little bit. And two broken old men seems like <laughs> a, a perfect place to, to go in a well, dynasty league. And, and and you mentioned the, the the age again. You know, Worth 36. So again, somebody who's had injury issues in the past. We're not expecting them to get better, and that's really my my major trepidation with Crisp and Worth because I really like both as players. And if I can be guaranteed a spell of health, I'm real I'm willing to invest. But you can only be guaranteed uh, a small portion of health over the course of the season relative to to a lot of other players. I know Worth played 147 games last year. Obviously, that's out of the picture uh, for this year. Brandon Beachy over for the Dodgers is uh, returning from a second Tommy John, and it, it's not it's not necessarily going horribly or anything like that. But he had a rough bullpen where he came away not terribly uh, pleased with with the outing. The the issue is is that he's trying to change his mechanics to put some a uh, little bit less stress on the on the elbow, obviously with two Tommy Johns, and so the results haven't been there yet. It's it's going to be a slow go. I don't think this is terribly surprising regarding Beachy, but is this somebody that uh, you're willing to stash, hoping for the a mid season uh, situation, or are you more like me and looking toward 2016 with him? Because I'm not necessarily bothering with him in any sort of format this year. I mean, it's hard to even look at 2016. If he, if, if you're looking to 2016, it'll be three years since he was in a game, and um, there's not a lot of guys who come back like that. Um, but you know, uh, Medlin is is trying to do something similar, and uh, you know, two two Tommy Johns isn't that big a deal. I know that Jared Parker's second Tommy John recovery is is going okay. You know, okay. according to his words, I, I've been talking to him about it, and he says. You know, mostly the, the harder thing the second time around for him has just been, you know, wanting to skip things and wanting to just, you know, go get out there and having to remember that it takes time. So, yeah, you got to go through you know, the whole process. You know, so I, I think um, I, I think that each pitcher is a little different and uh, I don't think that it looks very good for Beachy. I don't think that I'm necessarily holding uh Waiting with bated breath, you know. I just, I, I also think that his team is gonna move on, not move on, but like they're, they have the resources to do other things. They have Frias, they have Volsinger, uh, they have trade opportunities. Um, I, I don't think that they, I think they're just treating him as a, you know, fine if it works out sort of situation. That makes sense uh, because, yeah, I, I think that that's the only reason they invested in Brandon Beachy was to take a take a flyer here and see what could happen, hoping for the best, not expecting much though. Yeah, I, I didn't even realize that. Uh, what you're saying though, if, you, if we're looking toward 2016, that's all of a sudden, you know, maybe three years um, without without him pitching. I expect him to come back and pitch this year. I'm just not really trying to invest uh, until I see something. Whereas others were willing to kind of take the the gamble at the draft table and and use a DL spot on him. Unless I had unlimited DL spots, I I, I just can't do it right now with Brandon Beachy. JJ Hardy made his uh, or, or is going to make excuse me uh, in the future here going to make his 2015 debut tonight Thursday night. Uh, he's back in the lineup, obviously playing shortstop. They could definitely use him. At, uh, Everett Cabrera didn't do anything to kind of steal that job from him. So um, JJ Hardy, we kind of know what he is. But he's getting older too, so I think he's becoming a little bit less reliable in terms of, hey, you're going to get some power and, and, and a batting average deficiency. The power just wasn't there last year. Uh, meanwhile, you know, the batting average, at least for this context, uh, hasn't been too bad in the 260s. Uh, that's where he, you know, he used to be below that in a better run environment. So at least he's, JJ Hardy's given a little bit of trade back with it, but at nine homers, I, I can't do much with him. I need him to get back at least into the teens before I can even consider uh, wanting J.J. Hardy. And obviously, I can't know that he's going to be in the teens before I roster him. So I'm not really uh, attacking this one. What do you think of J.J. Hardy? Yeah, I mean, back things are, are, 
are difficult, um, and I think they're they're going to stick with him. And um, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, his his biggest asset used to be power, but it's really it's been since 2013 since we've seen that, that power. And you know, it's probably this injury that's been a big deal for that. Absolutely. And you know how 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 much is he? You know, how much did the the, the stuff that he did did it, did it like totally get rid of the problem or did it just sort of make it bearable to the point where um, he can play like he did last year or can he play like he did before that? So, um, you know, at, at, at uh, 32, it can really go either way. Um, he could have a couple more years of usability or he, or he could be done almost. Uh, and I don't even think that the minor league stats that he put up in 12 play appearances are at all relevant or, or even what he says is, is that relevant, you know, because of course he's going to tell us he feels great. But so. Yeah, absolutely. He's unlikely so to, to say, I feel terrible. <laughs> and, and Cabrera, for me, I mean, he didn't play that well. But the nice thing about when you look at Cabrera's line, uh, there's not that much nice about it. The, the one nice thing that you can see is that um, he had uh, he's been playing okay defense. Well, that's good. So yeah. I think that means that he can still be useful across the diamond, late game situations, pinch runner, pinch hitter, um, spell scope. Um, you know, spell Hardy, uh, you know, so the, I don't think Cabrera is done necessarily. No, I think um, he'll stick around because again, he, I don't think, yeah, I don't think Hardy runs away with it. I just don't think, and, and like you said, if Cabrera is playing a good enough defense, then he can get in there because that's another thing that Hardy used to be kind of known for was that lockdown defense. And so he would keep a backup uh, really relegated with, with playing time. But if they're kind of playing equal defense, then yeah, Cabrera can maybe bounce around and he can still do some of that second base uh, with Jonathan Scope on the disabled list, unless they're going to keep Steve Pierce at second base. Although the way he's hitting, I wouldn't expect that. Uh, and then our last bit of news, and this is, geez, you know, all these names are kind of depressing, unfortunately. I know some of these guys are all, or a handful of these guys are making comebacks and are currently playing, but uh, they're just not terribly inspiring names on the fantasy landscape. Nick Swisher's back. Uh, you know, this is a guy I, I used to love getting. I mean, he didn't cost anything, and he was 20, 80 in in the bank. Obviously, he hasn't been that now since 2013. Uh, last year was really disastrous. Only 97 games, eight homers, hit 208. It, it was bad. Uh, the 34-year-old Swisher is back. He's going to cut into Michael Bourne's playing time, at least against lefties, and he, he could squeeze him out altogether the way Bourne's been playing if Swisher can do something. Uh, he's off to you know a weak start, but I, I, I hesitate to even say that because he's 1-9. I mean, it's two games. Who cares? 1-9 for nine is what I should say. But uh, what do you think about Nick Swisher? Is there any value here? Can he get back to the uh, pre-2014 level in your estimation? It is nice to see that he walks more than he strikes out against lefties and has better power. Uh, well, he's actually had better power against righties for his career. But, um, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, his bad seasons, um, you know, he's still been okay against uh, against lefties. Although, really, in 2014, it just fell apart. Everywhere. I, it, was, it was so bad, and I held on to it for way too long. Like, I had switched He's kind of a different hitter from both sides. He's kind of he makes contact and you know and it's a little bit less power, uh, but it's been overall better uh, against lefties. But then against righties, he used to be sort of you know swing and miss guy, and when he did connect, uh, hit homers. So yeah. this is something that I've heard actually from a lot of switch switch hitters is that they're just completely different hitters from both sides, and it's possible that the shoulder makes him worse at one of those things. So I don't know. I, I would assume just from sort of weighted runs created plus um, that he would play more against lefties. But if he just feels better from one side or the other, you never know. You know, I don't really want to play Michael Brantley in center field for a team that doesn't have great defense and, you know, was trying to improve that. Um, I'm not sure that, you know, playing Swisher more and Bourne less is the way to go, but right. Um, that, yeah. See, you know. and that, that could, that could definitely play a role too. It's, it's, you know, they just mentioned for now that he's taken some of the Bourne's playing time away, but yeah, if they need a, a center fielder, you don't want to put too much stre defensive stress on Brantley because of his back. You know, you mentioned back things can be a big problem. And Brent hasn't rated positively defensively uh, in the corners really. So, 
So putting him in center doesn't seem ideal, but we'll see. We'll see how it plays out right now. Brantley um, be, between the three that we're talking about and that, not that Brantley's playing time would be in question, but just among these three, Brantley Bourne and, and Swisher, Brantley's the only one hitting. He's obviously going to play. We'll see if Bourne or Swisher, whoever can hit, you know, who can ever come close to re- replicating a hitter is going to win that playing time battle there. And I think they'll adjust. Otherwise, obviously they've been a colossal disappointment as a team so far, uh, losing four to three right now as well. And we'll talk a bit about uh, the guy they had starting day, Corey Kluber. In fact, that, that's perfect transition. Uh, I accidentally hey. segued. Uh, we have, <laughs> to, we have to talk about Mr. Kluber because people are starting to get concerned. Um, he's, he's through two and two thirds so far today, uh, four earned, Two strikeouts, two walks, three hits, you know, big, big, I think it was a three-run homer. Let's see here. Yeah, big three-run homer to Eric Hosmer. And this is something that, you know, and he just embarrassed him, Omar Infante to close out the third inning. Even when I'm watching him, even when he's giving up some of the runs, he's, he still looks filthy. I, I'm really not concerned about him, but I understand why people, uh, you know, are maybe asking questions, especially if they're not seeing him. Um, but home runs have kind of been there for him. Not as a major issue. You know, I think he only, you know, he didn't allow hardly any last year. Um, and this year it hasn't been bad. He's got like a 0.8 rate uh, per nine for Corey Kluber. But that is something that's in his game as a power pitcher. He will challenge guys at times and he will, he will lose, you know, so home runs can creep in there and kind of inflate his ERA. I have zero concerns about him. I would definitely be buying in on him. But what do you think about Kluber? Do you have any concerns about the reigning AL Cy Young? There was some moment when it looked like he was using his four-seamer more, and people were asking me about that. But if you'd looked at the classifications, you could see that the four-seamer had two-seamer movement. And I don't know. I can't find it now. There's no There's no system that says that he's throwing the four-seamer more. So I wouldn't. Wouldn't worry about it. The only thing that I don't like in his pitch mix is that he's throwing the changeup less and less. And I don't really know why, because the changeup is good. And, you know, he has some homer, you know, some homer issues. And for his career, the changeup has, other than the cutter, has given up the least home runs. So I I don't know exactly what's going on there. Um, but um, he's definitely not throwing the change as much. But, you know, if you just look at his. You know, strikeouts minus walks is the blunt tool of our of of our work, and he's still excellent there. I mean, even with the with the bad day to day, with two walks and two strikeouts, the the updated line right now reads um, an eight point nine K nine and a two point four walks per nine. So that's yeah, that's I'm above average. That. I'm taking that all yeah. day. Uh, so I'm going out trying to buy. You know, we could say buy low because you might be able to pay lower than his draft day cost. You're not going to get him for a song or anything like that. You're still going to have to pay up. But let me see. Uh, let me see if I can come up with some names to see if you'd pay for. Well, who who do you prefer between uh, Kluber and Strasburg? Um. Well, I mean, if you take the history aside, um, the injury history aside, then I would uh, then I would take Strasburg. And apparently the issue – yeah, by the way, I'm getting flooded with tweets right now asking what's going on with Kluber. So they'll enjoy this episode. Um, the thing with Strasburg, it looked like he was kind of laboring through his last start. Apparently it was a cramp and it was a known issue because everyone was wondering why they were leaving him out there when he was kind of clearly wincing. And you know, I, I, I know you've seen this where – They also uh, said – Go ahead. Yeah. They, and then they, they said they brought in the chiropractor to make an adjustment and that it was a chiropractic issue and not – and not like a muscular, you know, and I'm like, that's weird. I mean, it, I it was heard. so weird. It was so, that's a, I was going to say that it was very weird to see that they brought in the chiropractor. I don't think I've ever seen that uh, used. So I don't know. I, I'm growing, I'm growing a little bit concerned about Strasburg. I was pretty high on him coming into the season, but I'm, uh, I'm having some, some concerns. I think I might actually go for Kluber, uh, Kluber there. What about with Madison Bumgarner? Or Corey Kluber. He's the, by the way, I think Strasburg is nearing the end of his Tommy John window. We talked about that. The honeymoon. That's right. So you know, it's it's not it's not crazy to you know he could be headed for a second one. And, and I know you know the the uh, the guys over there in, in Washington are scared of, of second Tommy Tommy Johns. They have two guys that could be coming up on it. Sam, really, 
Zim's and, Zim is in Zim is in the uh, is out of the window, isn't he? Didn't isn't that one of the names that we mentioned when we went over that yeah. a couple weeks ago? Yeah, so they're both they're both in sort of a risky moment. Uh, what was your your question though? The, uh, the uh, rather last one: Bumgarner or Kluber? Um, I take Bumgarner. It's just been so, the track record has been so long and so excellent. I, I will take that. But here, how this one's easier, I think, for me: Waka or Kluber. As much as I love Waka, I got to go Kluber because Waka's just not getting the swings and misses right now. I still think it's in there. Uh, watching him, I still see the stuff being crisp. But uh, yeah, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't put him above Kluber right now because Kluber, even though he's struggling a little bit with his re- <clears throat> results, he's still getting the, uh, uh, still showing the skills. Yeah. All right, let's move on and talk a bit about uh, somebody on the. Uh, other end, or not on the other end, but a little bit further down the the worry scale here in terms of maybe adding some worry. Uh, that's that's Chris Sale. Um, I think questions are, are starting to flood in about him too. What's wrong with him? What's going on? Couple bad starts in a row here. You know, getting getting blasted by the Twins, I think, really threw people. But I, I think the Twins were were vastly underperforming uh, where, where they where their offense should have been. I, I didn't think it was you know, kind of a league worst type of offense. And that's the way they were playing for most of April, especially against lefties. They were pretty good last year, at least if I'm recalling correctly. Uh, I believe they were top 10 against both hands uh, in terms of weighted on base average. So, you know, you you never expect uh, Chris Sale to give up nine, eight earned in in, in three innings, but then bounce back against Detroit and and wasn't very sharp either. Give up five earned in five and a third. And yeah, you you can give him a little bit of a break because it was Detroit, but he usually he usually handles the Tigers quite well. But he had five walks. I think that's what really stood out for Sale in 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 that outing. So two bad outings in a row after three excellent ones though. So I'm not pushing the panic button really. But uh, do you have any growing concern about him? Because the one thing is that anytime he struggles, people instantly get worried about injury because they just always think he's going to get hurt. Yeah, and there are some some things to some reasons to believe he's hurt. There's I've talked about this before the, the Josh Kalk injury finder. Um, it, it, he got hired by the Rays, so it's, it's not just. Um, some little piddly toy. It's not, it's not it's just something... some blog spot little, uh, yeah, right. little thing. It's, it's, it's possibly something that's being used in the front office right now. So, um, and, and what he found as an injury predictor in pitch FX was late game inconsistency and release point. Um, and I think that's probably not just pure late game inconsistency, but like inconsistent inconsistency relative to the pitcher. So some guys are a little bit more all over there. Like, if you looked at Reynas Elias and you just looked at, you know, his last start, you'd be like, Oh God, he's injured. Yeah. But no, he, he just throws the ball everywhere like that. Um, so you're, you're talking about sort of release points relative to the guy. Uh, you're talking about zone percentage. Um, I think, I think that was actually sort of a psychological thing rather than a physical thing. It's like they feel the pain. So they are avoiding the heart of the zone more. Um, they're scared. but it could be, it could also be physical things manifesting themselves in, in less control and then, uh, less velocity. So that's, that, that's the three of the four factors. I forget what the fourth is, or maybe it wasn't four factors. Anyway, those are the three factors I remember right now. <laughs> uh, and, um, Chris Sale is not doing so well on all of them. His, Uh-oh. yeah, his late game, uh, release points have been more inconsistent than usual, um, the last, uh, actually starting in September of last year, um, they've kind of almost doubled uh, in in sort of magnitude. Uh, from he's a little bit inconsistent in general, but it's been worse recently. His velocity is a little bit harder to read because it, it's been up, um, and there have been there are periods of up, uh, but it's also been down most recently. And if you look at his velocity in game. It's been down. In that Minnesota game in particular, he couldn't crack 91 in the last couple innings. Oh, wow. I don't know if it's like wouldn't or couldn't, but here he is in Minnesota, and he can't crack 90-91. He's being bombed. So that's a that's a thing. And then I just got a tweet from a guy who charts uh, pitches for stats and says that some of the change-ups that, been, that has been throwing have actually been fastballs. And that if you are watching – you know, it's sort of on that granular level that he's actually thrown 86 mile an hour fastballs this year. Oh, that's so not good. that's that's 
that's really weird for Chris Sale. Plus, yeah, we are we always talk about injury, and it's easy to sort of to point to the Babip and, and and say, for the most part, he's still excellent. You look at his his velocity for the year, and it looks like it's up from last year. Um, you know, overall, uh, but. Just look at that four-seam number. For some reason, the four-seam number, even on our pages, is 90.2 um, you know, versus 93 last year, 92.8 last year. So there are some weird things going on here. And the four-seam is way less likely to uh, – I mean, you'd think that the four-seam would, would not show up as a change. But maybe there's change-ups in there. Obviously, pitch classification is not always you know, perfect. Sure. But having these guy, having a guy who watches pitches say he's throwing an 86-mile-an-hour fastball this year – uh, makes me worried and the and the injury finder i'm i'm just saying you obviously i'm not selling low i'm not dropping uh but i may not buy low okay no that 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 is useful because the, you know those are obviously the the questions that follow you know what what are you going to do um and that that makes sense because I have heard him recommended as as a buy low, you know because Chris Sale's toting a 5.93 ERA and a 161 WHIP. Again, you're not going to get him for some the 10th rounder. Strikeout rate looks okay. The strikeout rate looks okay, but the walk rate is the worst it's been in in four years. And and that's that's what stood out in in that start against Detroit specifically with the five walks. You just you don't usually see that from him. This is a guy that um you know was expected maybe to to have kind of command and control issues when he when he was coming up but he never has as a starter he never has seven percent five percent and six percent have been chris sales walk rates for his three full seasons so that it's up at eight percent this year that's noticeable I, I i agree with your your outlook though not getting rid of him not uh certainly not dumping him or anything but not necessarily running out to purchase him even at a discount right now uh, next up is Drew Pomeranz, and uh, we already talked about or, or briefly mentioned that he pitched today. He and uh, Ricky Nolasco, and it went about as expected, unfortunately. It was a 6-5 mm-hmm. game. Pomeranz gave up four, uh, all six of those. Only four of them were earned five walks in four and, four and a third innings, only two strikeouts. It's been ugly, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm about done with this guy, at least for right now, um, you know, in in – Pretty much any league format outside of AO only, I think I'm still gonna hang on. But uh, everything else right now, mixed leagues, I'm I'm kind of moving on from Pomerantz because there's probably gonna be somebody at least as appealing, um, maybe pitching a little bit better uh, on the wire. So what, what do you do with Drew Pomerantz right now? Because it it, it doesn't look good um, for the past couple of starts here after after a, a, a quality beginning to his season. Well, part of the reason I don't like the the last uh, little stretch, I mean, or I guess part of what I really don't like about today in particular is the the walks. I mean, yeah, five walks, uh, five walks against two strikeouts. The the thing that he needs to do is be sort of fine with the ball because he is a two pitch pitcher. There's no, there's been no improvement on the changeup. Um, the, the changeup is just. Uh, more craptacular than it ever was. I mean, it, he's thrown 35 of them, and he's got, like, one whiff. And uh, maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, I think one whiff. And then his ground ball rate is, like, 20%. So, you know, and then if you just go to the movement, it uh, has four inches less movement than a regular changeup. It has some decent horizontal movement, but it's exact same horizontal movement as a sinker. So pretty much he's throwing his sinker four miles an hour slower than a sinker when he throws the changeup. That's I mean, that's what it looks like. it's exactly the same movement and four miles an hour. I don't think is enough, you know, to make hitters get off balance. So, you know, I did do an interview with him and I I've been sitting on it because I've been hoping he would have a good stretch of pitches to make people, more people want to read the piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This I is just, how the song is made. <laughs> it's, but, uh, it's so frustrating because I got, you know, I love that curveball. Um, I, I see Pomeranz as somebody who can be, who can, who can live with just the two pitches and, and be successful. Not necessarily at the 2.35 ERA that we saw last year, but certainly much better than than the guy we're seeing this year, who's now up at 5.12 with his ERA. Yeah, and you know, the, I mean, in the interview, he talked about, you know, it's not just a curveball. You know, it's not just a big old curveball, and it can be you know, anything from a slider to a cutter to a curveball. I haven't yet sort of 
you know, worked it up um, and, and really looked at it um, the way I want to. But, you know, it's, yeah, that's why he has to be fine with the ball. You know, that like if he is going to be that guy, uh, and there are guys like that, you know, we talk about that Luke Gregerson, Adam Adovino is going to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, to some extent, Masterson does a little bit of that. Um, but, you know, all these guys, it always matters. Velocity matters a lot. Um, and Pomerantz, you know, at 90.6 is exactly average for a lefty. So there's, he's not really adding with the, with the, with the um, velocity uh, part. So, you know, it's going to, it's going to be like this. And I think, you know, today I'm really upset because I thought Minnesota could be a play because not necessarily the lineup as much, but the park, I thought the park would keep some, any homers in and then he could be aggressive in the zone, uh, which I think he needs to do. And then, uh, you know, maybe give up a couple of doubles or something, but don't give up any walks, have like four or five strikeouts in, in five or six innings and uh, get out of there with two or three runs given up and, and in line for the win. That's what that's like what I thought would happen today. He got a little peppered and, and, and you know, dinked and dunked a little bit. But, um, you know, when he's when he's not fine, it's not good. So right now I'm downgrading him all the way to streamer in 12 team leagues. Like I, I only want to play him at home. And if you have to play him more than that, then I don't want. him. Yeah, no, I like I said, there there are mixed leagues where I'm 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 piecing out right now, grabbing somebody else until he comes around again. Yeah, and you and you, and you can maybe stream him in in a good matchup. I'm gonna ask you if uh, if you if you prefer Pomeranz or this next guy. And the next guy is Mike Fires, and apparently walking five was the cool thing to do today because Fires did the same. Fives were, fives were wild for Mike Fires. He had five innings, five hits, five runs, um, all of them earned, five walks. Surprisingly, not five home runs, only one home run, still eight strikeouts. He's still getting the strikeouts, and I think that's that's what keeps some of Fires' intrigue. But uh, you you can only be so intriguing with your strikeouts when you got a 5.46 ERA. It's it's not going well for him, and this is what a lot of folks were worried about with him: uh, the the loss of that pinpoint command, which puts him at risk for homers. And lo and behold, he's got a 1.8 homer to, homer per nine ratio. Uh, and can't outrun that even with a 30% strikeout rate. What do you think of Mike Fires right now? You know, if you want some optimism, there's Steamer with a 3.49 ERA, 1.15 WHIP, uh, and a 1.13 homer per nine. So that defines, you know, why people are reaching for him. From a K minus, you know, BB from a strikeout minus walk perspective, and another the best, you know, in-season predictor. You know, you have to go for Fires. Um, so. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes. I want fires. He's kind of the opposite as Pomeranz. I want to play him on the road. Yeah. Um, Keep him away and, from home. You know, and 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 hope that helps him with the homer issues a little bit. Um, I mean, that's that's really all it is right now. It's it it's straight up the homers, and and until he fixes that. You know, here, I got to get this guy. I, I got to pay somebody else to to give me fires, or I got to do this. Uh, I mean. This is this guy is 29 years old um, and has a career uh, homer per nine over one, um, and lives in a bad ballpark. So, yeah, that, know, think, that, maybe he gets traded um, if the Brewers do do some sort of teardown. It'd be nice to see him get traded someplace uh, that suppresses home runs r- really well, and then Fires could be could be an asset again, or if he rediscovers that command from last year because. You know he he was he was excellent last year. There's really no denying that. But it was 72 innings. Um, it was worst still... uh, worst first strike rate of his career. Uh, puts him behind the eight ball. Uh, absolutely, uh, especially with his stuff. He cannot afford that. That's the so, last I mean, thing for Mike well, Fires. I like that a little bit too. I mean, if he can get that up to 60 or whatever, then he'll or at least you know at least 60. That's average. So he's at 55 right now. That's that's below average. And the zone rate is pretty low too. So I mean, obviously, you know, at his best, I think he needs to get strike one in there, and then he doesn't need to necessarily live in the zone because, you know, he'll have, he'll he needs to get people reaching anyway. But he is getting people to reach right now, and that's why he's still getting the strikeouts. It's just that he's not he's not starting with strike one. So some of those at bats he has to give in. Yeah, I I did I did my uh, NL updated tiers for May, and I've still got him. Uh, in tier five, around guys like Carlos Martinez, Bartolo Colon, Mike Leake, John Lackey, who threw well today, and I, I, 
he might stick out there because of that that ERA. But the skills say that this is this is worth buying in on. And maybe it's a situation like Brandon McCarthy where he really tests you and and carries a bad ERA, you know, several months into the season. But if you stick with it, it pays off. And obviously, uh, McCarthy needed a team change for that to pay off. Um, I don't. I don't know if Mike Fires will get that. He might. He might be stuck with Milwaukee, but we'll see. I'm. I'm sticking with him for right now. But definitely, uh, he's a little bit on the hot seat with that. With that enormous ERA. And then the last pitcher before we talk about some hitters, got to mention James Shields a little bit here because you know he's been excellent. And and the thing that I thought about him was that even if there was some skills degradation, it could get hidden a little bit by the NL and by Petco specifically. So maybe he could be you know kind of the same guy that we saw last year, even if he wasn't quite pitching nearly as well instead he's been amazing he's taken a major step up so far he's got a 31 percent strikeout rate which is backed by a 15 percent swinging strike rate the walk rate's up a little bit for shields at six percent up from five percent last year but you'll you'll take that with the uh, the enormous strikeout gain the the mo- the most angering part of it is that his home runs have been too high at 1.7, so he's not getting the results to match these these elite skills with a 3.72 ERA. What do you think of James Shields? Is this a case where the NL hasn't seen that that change up enough, and it, it's really devastating them, or is there something else going on with James Shields? I think there's a couple things going on, and I have a piece going up, a, a grips piece going up tomorrow, and um, so I'm going to leave one piece out for for tomorrow. Okay. Um, and that's just a health piece, which I think um, kind of is interesting when you start looking at the different things that he does um, and his health. That, that I'll leave out there. But um, in terms of the strikeouts, I did ask him, you know, are, are you just getting a lot of pitchers out? And he's like, well, no, they're actually hitting pretty well against me. Well, it turns out they're uh, struck out in seven of 13 plate appearances <laughs> against him. One pitcher has a double, you know. So, um, yeah, so he, some of it is the pitchers, but um, if you take the pitchers out, he still has a 29% strikeout rate. His career high is 23.6, so that's that's out of the picture. Now, you know, could it be that they haven't seen him before? Of course, I don't I don't know how to measure that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't that, either. That was just a yeah, guess. More people are swinging at his stuff now, and I think that could be kind of a good measure of, of not knowing him so well, so they're kind of swinging when they haven't really learned what he does. Uh, but there's another wrinkle, which is that, um, and, and this was, this was one of the most, uh, uh, surprising parts of my research for the, the piece, uh, which I just finished, which is the curveball. So he's always had the cutter, the cutter last year, he threw the cutter more than the, the, the change for the first time. And I brought that up and he's like, sure. I mean, you know, they're waiting on the change. So I gotta, I gotta do something else. Um, so, so the cutter was one thing. He's now throwing the curveball and the change and the cutter at almost, you know, equal rates. So, you know, anything can happen at that moment. Like it can be the, and especially in two strike counts, he used to go to the, for his career, he's gone to the change four times more than the, than the curve. Yeah. He loves it. That's his two strike pitch this year. It's almost equal. He's with two strikes. He'll go to the curve or he'll go to the change. And I think those being so different in terms of, of shape and speed and, and, and everything, I think that's um, really befuddling hitters. And I think it's great. I mean, it's a knuckle curve. It's a, it's a you know, it's got an interesting looking grip. And we talked about it a little bit. And um, he was funny because he was he asked me at some point, is this the sabermetric rundown right now? That's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and he said he hadn't heard a lot of. Uh, questions like uh, I was asking, but um, he hung with me, and uh, I think I think it's mostly the curveball, and also you know unfamiliarity, and then you know helping that unfamiliarity along by you know being more of a true four pitch guy. You know, last year he threw the curveball twelve percent of the time. This year it's nineteen percent of the time. So, or, or according to Pitch FX, it's eleven and nineteen. So, yeah, I think that's a I think that's a significant difference. That's um that's uh, that's making him a true four pitch guy with command. Um, great pitcher. Um, I think he's going to stay healthy. Most that's the part I'm going to leave out the reasons for that. But I think uh, he's going to stay healthy, and he could be. Uh, I guess we, we call it by high. I mean, even at 33. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm very intrigued with what I'm seeing from Shields. The only thing that's sticking out is that home run rate. Uh, hopefully, you can get that kind of work done because it's like uh, if they're not swinging through the changeup, they're kind of hitting it out of the yard. He's already given up three bombs on that uh, on the changeup alone, and Shields only gave up six on the changeup all of last year. So I know three might not sound like a lot, but uh, 
it is it is by comparison the changeup is getting worse over time. I mean, it's getting it's getting harder. It's getting uh, it's getting harder. It's getting less drop. It's getting less well, movement overall. I'm impressed <laughs> that uh, he shifted that he's shifted then in response to that because, you know, the instinct might be to still just rely on it because it was such an A pitch for him in the past. But instead, he's he's evolving, and that that's really impressive. Yeah, I don't, but I guess homers are a real impetus for change. You know, it's like, you know, the, the changeup has a reverse platoon splits. It's going into to, to righties. And if he's trying to get it, you know, across the inside part of the plate and it's not, you know, having the same movement it used to. And so therefore it's staying truer and it's staying closer to the inside part of the plate low, which is the happy zone for hitters. Mm -hmm. Uh, and a couple of those go out of the yard, and maybe he says, next time I'm going to just throw a curve on the outside corner. You know? <laughs> yeah, you, let's see you hit that out. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, it's, been, it's been great for Shields. Let's talk Let's talk about a couple hitters, and um, we have to talk about some of the Dodgers, and uh, you know, the, the one of them has been getting plenty of run uh, because he deserves it because he keeps doing stuff, uh, and we're going to start with him. It's Jock Peterson. But uh, the, two, the two guys at the top of the lineup today, Jock Peterson and Yasmani Grandal, had a huge day against Fires. Peterson snapped his streak of like 50 hits in a row that were home runs or something like that. I think, I think it was seven hits in a row, which is just absurd. He only went one for four, uh, but scored two runs, drove in a run, two walks, but also three strikeouts. So what we really need to kind of focus on right now isn't so much how, how good he's been. We, we, we know that, but what, what are you doing if you've got him, though? Because you love the, the, the nine homers so far, and the triple slash is off the charts. 20% walk rate's fantastic, but the 32% strikeout rate suggests that the 272 batting average is going to continue to fall for Jock Peterson. And how far does it fall? Obviously, he can be a power guy. Is it is this just kind of like last year George Springer a little bit, or or do you see something different from from Peterson? Well, you know, you look over at the BABIP and you're like, oh, 333 BABIP, he can do this. He's fine. You know, the batting average is not going to go down, but. A 3.95 ISO, like I need, I'm gonna look this up while I'm talking. But a 3.95 ISO is not one something that that sticks around for a long time. No. And uh, um, you know, I, I think that um, you know, let me see, the, the leader for the 2000s. I'm gonna do split seasons. Uh, the best qualified ISO for a season. I kind of want to know this because I mean, I guess something he could actually. Yeah, it's Bonds. Uh, there's a 536 from Bonds, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's guess which season that was. That's um, so stupid. Let, let's get rid of Bonds and Sosa, who occupy this top six. Tommy is seven, but that's still 2002. Let's look for something a little bit more recent. The most recent one, 2007, Carlos Pena, 345. Okay. Uh, 2007, Alex Rodriguez, 331. 2009. Pujols with the Cardinals, his last good year, 331. Um, that's the that's actually Albert Pujols in 2009. That's the only that's the only one later than 2007 that shows up in the top 30. Wow. So you know the game has changed. If I want yeah. to go to the second page and look for something after 2010, how about that? After 2010, because you know we know the game's. Oh my God, I'm on the Trout. second page. I have nothing. Oh wow. 2010, make the second page. Uh, all right, let's make this third page That's now. Where he is. I still haven't seen 2010. Well, what oh. what, what numbers are you at? Because Trout was at 274 is his high. I'm not there yet. Oh, my God. Fourth. Okay, so number 91. <laughs> let's see here. Trout is, I think it is going to be Trout, actually. Oh, my gosh. 270. I made it, to, uh, I made it all the way to 120. I have to go to the fifth page. That's so funny. Where's Trout? You said Trout had a 270. Is that now? Is that this year? No, no. He had a 274 last year. He, he, has, he has a 270 this year. ISO, you said, right? Yeah. Yeah, Trout, 2014. I got 274. Obviously, in, a, in totally enough plate appearances, two, uh, 705. Oh. All right. Um, leaderboard fail. Leaderboard fail. I won't tell you. I won't tell you what happened there. That's embarrassing. I had it, like, limited to 2009. So that's... Oh, okay. that's that's gonna make okay. it difficult. Two, uh, let me do ISO again. Let's do this again. All that you know, cut all that excitement. Uh, 2015, Nelson Cruz is fourth with a 423. Oh wow! Uh, we're not gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna limit it to 2014. Screw all this short sample stuff. 
All right, let's find the first 2010 later or later ISO. Let's start off. This is a great radio, by the way. <laughs> uh, 2013, Chris Davis is in the top 15, 348. Okay, that's dirty. And and we don't See, think Peterson's going to do even that. Sure, that was a crazy thing. The second one after 2010 goes all the way down to 47th. That's Jose Bautista in 2011 hit 43 homers at 306. All right, I mean that's possible. Sure. So a three, if he and, and he's he's only projected for a .204 ISO the rest of the way, which would be 21 homers would give him a 30 uh, homer season in his rookie season, which would still be. Awesome sauce and maybe the way to go because that's what projections are good at doing is telling you, you know, calm down. It'll be fine. Exactly. You know, it won't be as easy to think. So, but if he is Jose Bautista right now, which would still be regression, 306 ISO, he's right now at 395. Let's say he regresses to 306, then he's going to have a better batting average than that 242. That's true. But let's just say he is more of the zips uh, projection for Peterson. So he is going to hit 242 with 21 bombs and 15 stolen bases the rest of the way. What, what are you accepting for that? What what, what are you saying? Okay, I I can trade this. Obviously we're not talking keeper because that just throws too many wrinkles into it. We're just talking this year. You don't have to necessarily give outfielders. uh, What's that? Ian Desmond. Man. You, you let's say you have a bad shortstop. Jock Peterson's your third outfielder. Yeah, and you want you don't want to run Eric Ibar out there anymore. And Ian Desmond's on the table. Um, I don't. I, before the season, I would have done that. The reason I'm uh, even if I know, let's say Desmond before the season, Peterson. I already know he does this. I I, will, I would have done that. The reason I'm nervous about Desmond is because of that defense. I wonder if that's going to start creeping into his offensive game. If that's if that's hurting him at all uh at the dish that he's thinking about how terrible he's been defensively because you know three straight 2020 seasons for desmond uh he's only got two homers and no stolen bases so far (sighs) it's close yeah i think i would do it i think i would i I would do it i I think i think i might ask for a sweetener i mean i I think i could i I think i could i think yeah i think i think i think i think if your team is not great across the board, especially if it's like deeper than twelve team, um, and you're and it's not even Ibar, and you're playing like uh, Kang and hoping that he plays every day, or you're playing, you know, you're playing somebody else, and you're just and it's not quite an everydayer, and and so you're you're kind of losing at bats at shortstop, and you could use a pitcher, and you know someone offers you Desmond plus like Garrett Richards, or you know, I mean, it could be even that might be worse too high. Yeah, that's probably too much, but Desmond and um, Jesse Hahn, you know, like an extra, you know, pitcher that helps you in a deep league and gives you depth. And, you know, I, I, I could do that. Um, you know, yeah, if, if I there mean, was another. Here's the thing. Ask for Desmond and Garrett Richards, though, and, and see what's up. Because Garrett Richards hasn't been uh, the Garrett Richards of last year yet. So if there was somebody that had that combo – I, I like that you kind of mentioned that name. I personally think it's too high. If I was on the receiving end of that deal, I'd say no thanks. Uh, but but here's pitcher uh, a couple rungs lower instead. I guess Richards' results are there in terms of two. Fi- a, yeah, his results yeah, are there, but the, the strikeouts aren't there, and, and the walk rates back up pay. to his uh, yeah, old school days. Yeah, they didn't pay. Um, uh, they didn't pay a, a, a you know like a a top round draft pick. It's not like asking for Strasburg and no. And- so I, I think it could get done. So I would definitely ask for that. Um, but I would even accept a little less if the guy, if the guy balked on that, but that's, that's the right, that's the right ask right there. Say Desmond and, and Garrett Richards uh, in, in that range for Peterson, but we got to talk. Thing oh, go ahead. If you believe in Peterson is just trade the guy above him. You know, if you, if you, you know, drafted three outfielders and, and Peterson was your third outfielder, um, you know, trade the guy above him. Oh yeah, know, yeah, and and move him up. Yeah, that's so, a good call. I, mean, I think whoever has Peterson right now should be thinking about trading, and it doesn't necessarily need to be Jock himself. But the fact that Jock is doing so well means you've got a surplus value. You should you should have something that you know because you probably you, you spent a little bit of a later pick, unless you're my Tout Wars team, <laughs> which every time I look at it, I say, God, I love this team. And then I look at the standings and I'm like, why am I in 10th? 
I do not understand that. I do not understand that one bit. I guess Astruble, Astruble Cabrera is is truly an Astruble. Yeah, he has been astribbling everywhere. It hasn't been good. <laughs> I'm sitting there mid-pack. I got some disastrous pitching in the mixed league there. Uh, Cody Allen, Phil Hughes, uh, the aforementioned Drew Pomeranz continually doing a number. Drew Hutchison. The Drews have done a number on my, my ERA and whip. The offense is, is kicking uh, over there, but I can't I can't get any pitching to save my life. So um, unfortunately, I don't have Jock Peterson to go out and try to trade for a pitcher and a hitter. Uh, we got to talk about his teammate though. We, we got to talk Peterson. Peterson. The problem with that one is that it's a, um, is that it's an OVP league, which, you know, there's, he's kind of unimpeachable. In that yeah. One. You got, you, you'd have to get uh, quite a bit more there. It would have to be, I mean, I, I think you could ask for, could you could ask for like Tulowitzki, couldn't you? In an OBP yeah. league for, for for Peterson right now, and you know, listen, yeah, he's going to have regression, but it, it it's not necessarily going to be his OBP. And even if his 423 OBP regresses, you're probably still looking at what a 380. Yeah. So yeah, yeah in, in that league, yeah, you'd have to ask much much higher. We we were obviously talking standard five by five. Yeah. Let's get to his teammate. Uh, Yasmani Grandal had an amazing day today. Four for four. Two homers, eight ribbies, three runs scored, and two walks. Just an incredible day. He's actually on fire overall, too. He's got three three-plus hit games in his last five. That's that's confusing, I understand. But a couple of three-hit <laughs> games and a four-hit game all in his last five. So his triple slash has shot up to 301, 414, 534. I'm loving this. I was expecting a big season from him, obviously not necessarily at this level uh, but uh, you know I, I thought that he could be a full-time you know power catcher batting they were batting him second here and that that's definitely working Peterson and Grandal atop the lineup how do you value Grandal uh, is he a top 12 catcher for you if so how high does he get <clears throat> yeah you know I guess there was a good really good would you rather um, which was Devin Masarocco or or and it's it's Grandal for me because I'm, I'm yeah, just not thing. convinced of Mazzarocco's health at all. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure that he's. I mean, people were saying that surgery is inevitable, and I can't put that word on it because if it was, then he would be having it now. It's, I mean, I know that's sort of circular, but sure. But I mean, the team wouldn't even try this if they thought it was inevitable. There's some there's some thought that maybe he can avoid it. So, um, you know, I'm not dropping him unless. Grandal is out there, then screw it. Just do it. You know, it's like worst case scenario, they're both top. I mean, they're both top 10 catchers and you, you lost Mezzarocco's, you know, top eight for Grandal's top six. And, but you got, you know, the couple weeks where Grandal was still hurt. So, you know, that's that, I mean, the one Mezzarocco was still hurt. So I, I think you got to make that move, but um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know that I drop like a McCann or, you know, no, I mean, <sighs> Or, I mean, I'm not dropping anybody. No, I, I, I don't think you could do something. Yeah, one, you're talking one-catcher league, obviously. I don't think you want to do that. You know, Grandal is 40% at ESPN right now. He's obviously going to shoot way up after this game. Um, you, you know, it, it, people are going to go out and pick him up, obviously missing a good chunk of what he's done. But I think it can continue to be an asset. I do think he's kind of right there at that at that top 12 area. So if you are in a one catcher league, um, I think he should he should be owned. But I agree with you. I wouldn't necessarily uh, go out and get rid of guys that I've already got that are that are doing perfectly fine. I mean, they're not great. You know, like you said, McCann, he hasn't been great, but you know, he's perfectly fine. I don't think I necessarily need to make that swap there. Um, but you know, if you if you've been riding Pierzynski and, and being the luckiest person in the world to get that obviously get rid of him immediately and go get somebody yeah. like Grandal. Um, you know, Grandal's first base eligibility doesn't do anything for me. Don't play two catchers in your lineup. That's stupid. Um, you know, that might help for flexibility on an off day, but overall him at catcher is where you want to play him. But I, but I like Grandal. I think he can be an asset near the top of the lineup because he does walk. He's always kind of shown that, that capability. And even before today's game, his OBP was up at 370. Um, and so, you know, that – Grandal is, is maybe not uh, you know top five catcher yet or anything like that, but he's moving up, and I, I think we're going to see a, a high quality season from him. I'm definitely buying. 
the nicest thing is his swinging strike rate is tiny, 5.4%. And today he, he slipped under 20% for strikeout rate. And really his upside is much better than I think Zips and Steamer give him credit for. I think he could have an 18% strikeout rate year. And you pair that with above average power, um, you know, he doesn't have to have that 320 Babbitt to have a good batting average. So, exactly. yeah, I think he's going he's gonna to have a good year. All right, we got to talk about Angelton Simmons here because uh, this was a guy we we'd spoken a bit about coming into the season, and we're a little bit cold on him. Uh, and you you mentioned some things about his swing that just weren't conducive uh, to doing a whole lot offensively. Well, he's off he's off to a good start, and we got to give him some credit for that for sure. His walk rate's up to a career high eight percent. His strikeout rate is down to a career best four percent. He's already good at not striking out. He's obviously elite right now. So Simmons, Angelton Simmons. That's a 292, 359, 462 triple slash with some pop. He's scoring a ton of runs because that offense has just been actually pretty decent so far, uh, even though I don't buy into it. But he's batting up near the top of the lineup now, too. Have you changed anything on Angelton Simmons? Um, is this you know the beginnings of a breakout, or is this just a hot streak from, from a youngster? You know, what I like about it is that he's actually – incrementally improved in a couple areas in terms of you know how much he sprays he's probably should be a spray hitter considering he's putting the ball in play a lot you want him to have a high BABIP and so you know I think you know having some opposite field uh, approach in his game is good he's got the career high opposite field percentage that also stabilizes very quickly so it is good to see him spray it around the field I'm sorry to see that he has not fixed his pop-up problem, and I think at this point he never will. Yeah. So, and that was a know, big issue that we'd brought we, we'd brought up. I think that the 293 Babbitt he has right now is a bit of a high watermark because because of those pop-ups, they're basically outs. But if he this is the way that he can, without fixing the pop-up problem, have a good batting average, which is basically put every ball in play. Yeah, never strike and, out. And never, yeah, never strike out and and uh, and spray it around so that um, you know when you're putting the ball in play and it's not going straight up, um, it can find uh, it can find grass more often. So, I, you know, uh, I think he can do what he's doing right now. I think okay. he can do what he's doing, which is you know, I think this would be like a. I think maybe you look up at the end of the season, 285, 12 homers, um, 90 runs because he's going to be up at the top of the lineup. Maybe maybe 80 runs. Uh, 90 runs. 90 runs. I mean, I, I, it's hard to know how overperforming the the Braves' offense is. Well, I mean, they even they put it, the ball in play, but they don't have any power. Yeah, even though I don't buy it uh, as a team, I could still get get to that 90 number that you mentioned with Simmons because of Freeman, because Freeman will still continue to hit, and if Freeman's, you know, he's the top lineup. And, yeah, so th- that that's where I could see it because Freeman almost alone can not 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 necessarily drive him in 90 times but but really drive that number and he's and Simmons already has 20 in the bank. So you, you I don't know. see anything that makes me think that he's in for a lot of regression really. I mean, yeah, the the strikeout rate's below, but you know, his swing strike rate is one of the lower ones he's had and he's being more aggressive, which I think in his pro- in his case, you know, more aggressive in the zone. Uh, swinging at more strikes in the zone. I think that's for him. That's a good approach. So you know, just put he, that ball in play. You know, he's fifth right now on ESPN's Player Rater for shortstops. Um, do you see him? That's well, that that that's more uh, about the position points. itself as yeah. opposed to really propping <laughs> him up because uh, you know Hanley at the top. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but the Marcus Simeon, Zach Cozart, Adani Hechevarea, Angelton Simmons. Gene Segura, Brandon Crawford. I mean, I haven't gotten to any of the names that were drafted earlier outside of Hanley. You know, Tulowitzki is pretty low. Starlin Castro uh, is actually eighth. Ian Desmond is 22nd. So, you know, things are going to change there. Uh, He's probably not going to land fifth. But do you think he's a top 10 guy right now for Angelton Simmons? Well, you know, last year, Eric Ibar made it to uh, seventh. uh, He was preseason 16, end of season seventh. By uh, having 80 runs, basically a 278 average and 16 stolen bases, seven homers. So I think, um, you know, I think I would take Simmons's batting average over Ibar's. So uh, I think Simmons is going to end with a 285 or better. Um, he obviously won't have the 16 steals, but let's say you give him 12 homers uh, and more runs than 77. So I think 
that's the kind of season he's going to have. It's not going to look, it's not going to have the exact same shape because more power than speed and all that stuff. But, you know, 16 going in, seven going out. That's, that's, you know, Simmons is probably like 22 going in or 20 going in. I think he'll be around seven going out. Okay. Yeah, no, I can I definitely get behind that. So um, this new approach is, is working for Simmons. And of course we love that the defense guarantees him playing time. If he's healthy, he is going to play as close to 162 as they let him. And the health piece is good. I mean, exactly. He's been out there a lot. Uh, We're going to close out with a couple of bits of player movement over in the desert. Arizona has made uh, the only real player movement of late. Uh, Two minor moves. One is to call up Robbie Ray to be a starter. You'll remember him as the centerpiece of the Doug Fister trade. Uh, He was called up for, uh, you know, the doubleheader in uh, Colorado. I don't know if he's guaranteed to stay up or not, but he's up for now. He was actually pretty decent in Colorado, all things considered there. Six innings, one run, five hits, five strikeouts, no walks for Ray. And then they signed Jared Saltalamakia to a minor league deal. Not a surprise at all, given their catcher woes. I've repeatedly mentioned that they have a fake player back there, Tuffy Go Swish. Um, so they're trying to remedy that. They need to get a real human back there. We'll see if we'll see if Saltalamakia can fill that role or not. He's going to start in the minors. What do you think of either of these moves? Like I said, these are deep league, small moves. But do you have any intrigue in either of them in an NL only or super deep mix? I think it would take at least twenty teams to really get interested in either of these. Um, you know, Robbie Ray. A lot of people saw him light up the the gun, but maybe they saw him light up gun the gun in the first and didn't check back. <laughs> Because uh, he hit 96. He was like sitting 96 in the first inning. And the fifth inning, he was sitting 92. He was probably like, oh, God, that really tired me out. Why did I do that? <laughs> yeah, why did I do that? That's stupid. Uh, he also threw 77 four-seamers, six change-ups, and nine sliders. Um, diverse. So, yeah, that was. he was pretty fastball-heavy. It was decent at first. It really strikes me as a reliever-type situation. Um, the change was not good, did not get a grounder or a whiff, does not have good drop, does not have good fade, does not have, well, overall, it has okay differential and velocity because it's almost nine miles an hour. But if it doesn't have good movement, um, you got to talk about straight change. And then there's the velocity component in terms of the fastball. Is it, you know, the fastball, as listed here, is 94, but it's not 94 because in the end it's 91. So when he's 91, 92... Is the changeup still 10 miles an hour slower or not? So uh, I think there's still a lot of questions to be asked about his changeup. His slider's pretty good. His velocity in the first inning is pretty good. I do not want him at 12-teamers. Do not want him at 14-teamers. Not going to put a bit on him in tout. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too geeked about Robbie Ray right now. Uh, I, I agree with something you said right at the outset that it, it's looking more and more like a uh, relief profile. And I think it could be an impact reliever, though. Uh, well, I understand why they're going to give him a shot and see if he can stay as a starter. He's only 23 years old. He is a left-hander. It, it's worth giving him some actual time to see what's up there as a starter, but it might just eventually be, become a situation where uh, Robbie Ray has to be a reliever. And then with Salty, you know, it's a better park at least that's that's the one thing i can say but uh his skills have really has really fallen off these last two years since since that nice season with boston i think most people realize that that season with boston was a bit of a mirage except for the marlins apparently because they brought him to this cavernous ballpark and so i have a piece of trivia about him and it's and it's not uh name related okay what, what do we got he married his gym teacher Wait, what? Yeah, he married his high school gym teacher. That is Florida. Hilarious. <laughs> oh my I god. <laughs> yeah. I I don't even know how to process that. It's yeah. really Maybe, funny. You know, gym is one of those things. You never know if the age difference was that big. No, know? no, it, it probably it probably wasn't. You know, it could have been someone fresh out just trying to get uh, you know, uh, her foot in the door for teaching or whatever and so she might have been you know, still pretty funny i mean it's still hilarious <laughs> it's still absolutely hilarious and very weird but uh yeah that, that we're gonna close on that because what 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 better right. way to close <laughs> excellent piece of trivia covered a bunch of guys today talk some good stuff you know we'll be back um next week i hope you have a wonderful weekend oh, try, try to stay healthy taking the kids to disneyland 
I think we'll be able to manage the Tuesday podcast, um, maybe from a stadium. Oh, that could be but, that'd be fun. Um, Thursday in the uh, Thursday, um, we'll, we we may be short one next week. But hey, I always love talking. I'll, I always love talking to you, and, and thanks for listening, guys. I'll go solo if I have to on Thursday. You know, take care, <laughs> have a good time with the family. We'll be back. Oh, soon. what do you think? Well, actually. <laughs> That, that well, you can have a solo conversation. I'll do two characters too. I'll do you. I'll do a Nino character and, and a Paul character. If people want that, that that could be the Thursday show. Or maybe I'll just do it straight up. Or maybe I'll find a guest. Who knows? But until then, you know, talk to you later. All right. See you.